This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Hi guys, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, Before we get into episode 44 with the Montana Wild Guys, I just wanted to make sure all of you guys out there are going to ArizonaBigGameSuperRaffle.com and are purchasing your raffle tickets for antelope, black bear, buffalo, coos whitetail, desert bighorn sheep, elk, javelina, mountain lion, mule deer, and turkey. Uh, There's also a Swarovski optics raffle. Uh, You can win a, uh, there's $13,750 worth of optics. You get a STX spotting scope with 65 and 95 millimeter objective lens, a Z5 5-25 by 52 rifle scope with ballistic turret, 15 by 56 SLC binoculars, EL 1042 range finding binoculars, um, just an incredible value there. Uh, th- those tickets are $10 each. There's also a, a 2015 New Mexico Trophy Elk Hunt um, donated by Magnus Outfitters. Tickets are $20 each or 6 for 100 it's a fully guided New Mexico trophy elk hunt for one hunter, including a guaranteed landowner tag. Uh, this is uh, the owner. The winner has the option to to hunt in unit 13 for archery or unit 15 with a muzzleloader in the fall of 2015, or unit 12 with a rifle in the fall of 2016. So, uh, pretty good opportunity to win a great New Mexico elk hunt, and it's a great way to support the state of Arizona. Um, the mail order ticket sales are um, due, uh, the deadline is July 10th, and online sales uh, end on July 12th. So the draw is going to be uh, July 23rd, and um, you guys be by your phones because they call you. It's, it's pretty fun to uh, hear um, when they call the, the, the winner's names and uh, to get the guys on the phone and the guys that we've been fortunate to take hunting. Um, it's pretty interesting to see uh, their reaction when they've been called that they've won the tag. So uh, make sure you get your tickets. That's ArizonaBigGameSuperRaffle.com. And guys, I know you're going to enjoy this episode uh, with the Montana Wild Guys out of Missoula, Montana. They uh, make some really good fly fishing and hunting films, archery elk hunting, mule deer hunting, predator hunting. They've got some great stuff, uh, and I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Um, I want to thank you guys for the support of the podcast. Uh, Today, as we uh, launch this episode, it is uh, the end of June. It's uh, June 30th. Uh, We've got Independence Day, 4th Fourth of July coming up, and um, I think it's important to remember that um, you know America was once uh, overshadowed by Great Britain and um, uh, you know our forefathers uh, you know fought fought the tyranny and fought uh, you know the the reasons that we have the freedoms that we have are because some brave men and women decided to 
break away from Great Britain and, and not be taxed out the wazoo and um, not be under their law and under their rule. So, you know, as things happen in our in our as things happen in our country and politics and and all of the things that we've been seeing going on over the last couple months, couple years, um, you know, it's interesting how we go from being a free nation to go. Seems like we start uh, easing our way back into some of the same things that we were under Great Britain and and um, without turning this into a big uh, political discussion. Uh, just remember what Independence Day is all about, guys, and I want to thank you for the support of this podcast. And, uh, you know, it's it's not a single day goes by that I don't get a message, uh, an email message, a, a text message, a, a voicemail, a Facebook, Instagram message from you guys telling me how much you like the, the podcast. And um, uh, I'm taking every one of your comments and taking them to heart. And uh, I've, I've had some people that are requesting certain things to hear on the podcast, and we're going to get to that. So... If you do want to email me, you can send me a message at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Please visit the Instagram page at jscottoutdoors, my associate Dar Colburn at Dar Colburn, our Facebook page, jscottoutdoors, YouTube channel, jscottoutdoors, and of course the website, jscottoutdoors.com. I've got great hunts coming up this fall. Uh, Moisture in Arizona is looking really good, so I think our elk hunting is going to be fantastic, so it's just an exciting time of year. And I wish you guys the best on all your hunts. Let's get right to the episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we're fortunate to have a couple of awesome guys that uh, really know what they're doing when it comes to video content and uh, videoing their hunts and videoing their fishing adventures. We've got Zach and Travis Bouton out of Montana. Uh, They've got an incredible website, montanawild.com. Um, these guys, I've been watching their fly fishing videos and hunting videos, and they really have a knack for capturing, uh, the essence of the hunt and the essence of the adventure on the fly fishing trips. Um, their, their quality of shots is amazing. Uh, after this episode, you, you guys are going to have to go check them out. If you guys don't already know these guys, uh, really, really proud of the work they've done. Uh, Zach, Travis, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having us on, Jay. Yeah. Yeah. Excited to have you guys on. And, um, you know, it's been a pleasure to watch you guys uh, uh, with with the progress that you've made uh, from from your very first videos that were were incredible, I thought, when they came out. But, you know, even the latest ones, it's, it, you guys never cease to amaze me. And it seems like your content and your quality of shots and stuff just gets better and better. Thanks, man. Yeah, and so you guys specialize in outdoor marketing, social media, cinematography, uh, video editing, and you've recently ex- expanded into the apparel business. Uh, give me a little background on on what you guys do and, and when you guys started and how all of this came about. Yeah, um, I guess it kind of started back when we were in high school and we, we skied a bunch. That's kind of our background is the ski and snowboard realm and took a an editing class in high school and stole dad's little camcorder and hit the mountain and made some terrible little you know home ski videos because at that age um you know we idolized all the guys that that you watch in the ski films and so i think that was probably 
um, the foundation for what we do today. I ended up going to school in Bozeman for a bit and um, the family moved to Montana in 2004 or five. And there just was a different, different feel in Montana compared to North Idaho where we live, even though it's, you know, only a couple hours away and just started hunting and fishing. And when you, I mean, if you go back five or six years into the hunting space, especially online, which is where we were spending a lot of our time watching content, there just really wasn't much out there. And I think we wanted to see what we were capable of creating and just share it with people and hopefully get them excited about hunting and fishing. And essentially that's still where we're at today is just to get people excited about the outdoors because we didn't grow up with hunting or fishing and um, we just were pretty blown away at how awesome it was and how many cool places it can take you. And we wanted to share that with people. And, um, you know, obviously it's developed into a pretty complex business we run now, but I think the, the core goal is still to just inspire people to get outside, have an adventure. If they want to hunt or fly fish. That's awesome. If they want to take it a different route, you know, whether they just enjoy hiking or mountain biking or kayaking or whatever it is, um, we're all for it. But, um, obviously our specialty is, is the fly fishing and the do it yourself hunting and Western hunting archery is the top archery is king, I think right now. So, yeah, for sure. You know, uh, having watched your videos for years, uh, it makes total sense now what you're saying. Uh, I've always said that the guys that make the, you know, the Warren Miller ski film, you know, original, you know, they, some of those original films were unbelievable and the, the shots that they were capturing and it makes total sense now that you guys' background is in, you know, uh, uh, skiing and snowboarding um, and, and seeing some of the shots that you've captured. They're just different than a lot of the other content out there. Um, the, the, the thing that amazes me is, uh, you know, you guys get some unbelievable shots. Who is the one that... Uh, uh, plans the shots or do you do you both uh you know equally take part in in capturing shots or who is the main uh, uh planner of those shots yeah so um i mean we both do equally amount i would say um obviously in like our most latest uh films we've done a lot more planning of our shots and like having you know like more specific shot lists and just like having you know these these shots that are unique and dynamic kind of planned beforehand and then going out in the field and trying to actually, you know, accomplish those shots. But yeah, we both equally film and edit. Um, awesome. So awesome. And what part of Montana do you guys live in? We live in Missoula, Montana. Missoula. Okay. And, um, what's the, what's the river situations right now? Um, are they blown out or are they just getting clear or what's the status of the rivers around uh, the Missoula area? They, they're pretty, pretty dang good. Uh, we've had a really dry spring and runoff really was kind of non-existent. I guess there was maybe a week or two really where it was a little bit blown out, but all the rivers are starting to run clear right now. And, you know, even the Clark Fork, which dumps, you know, which the Blackfoot and Bitterroot feed into. I mean, everything's fishing. This is probably going to be a killer week to be out on the rivers almost 
anywhere in the state, I think. I know I've been trying to get you guys uh, corralled into one room where I could talk to both of you, and, I, and it now makes perfect sense why it's been a little bit of a challenge to get there because the fishing's been hot. Yeah, we don't <laughs> fish that much, so people uh, think we're out every day. I, yeah. I, now, is this what you guys do full-time? Is this both your full-time occupations, or do you guys also um, have other jobs? Yeah, this this is full-time for us. Um, we actually just hired our first employee, uh, awesome. like three months ago. So yeah. that's exciting. That's exciting. Yeah. We've been super busy with work. That's, it's been work more than playing why we haven't been able to have the time to do this, but, um, well, from someone that watches the videos, it sure looks like you're playing, uh, and what I mean by that is it doesn't look like you guys are working. It looks like you guys are just having fun and doing what you enjoy to do. And I think, uh, you know, you probably would attest that most of the success is being because you guys are passionate about it and you love what you do. So it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, we're, we're super passionate about it. Obviously the face of Montana wild is going to have nothing to do with work, but the behind the scenes involves more work than people imagine. I think people think we're just like trust fund babies who are out on the river hunting out. <laughs> you know, never had to work a day in their life. But uh, it's a pretty tough and frustrating business to run for sure. There's not, um, there's not really a model for what we do. You can't go online and look up, you know, how to run this business or get tips or articles. It's trial and error and a lot of the guys that do it are pretty tight-lipped about it because, I don't know, it, at the end of the day, it's business for most people. You'd think getting into the hunting and fly fishing world and running a business out, people would be a lot more um, welcoming and, you know, just kind of down to earth. But business is business at the end of the day. You quickly will find out in this industry. And, yeah. Um, Absolutely. But I, I think, you know, being a 26 and 28 year old gung ho and full of passion, you know, I wouldn't let the, the, the guys that maybe don't, you know, leave the door open for you and, and maybe slam it in your face because the reality is a lot of that's just jealousy and, and you, you guys just keep producing, you know, awesome content and just keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, your, your light is shining through and, and, uh, you know, I, I've been watching you and I know other guys watch you and you've got a big following on, you know, social media that's organic. I mean, you guys aren't out advertising, uh, you know, your passion is attractive. And so just keep doing what you're doing. Was there a certain thing that happened uh, with this that threw you right in, you know, in the forefront of, you know, I consider you guys being the leaders and creating this cool content. Is there, is there one thing that happened where the light went off and you guys said, hey, we can do this? Yeah, I mean, we just started doing it because we, you know, at the time when we first started hunting and fishing, when we would find, like, fly fishing videos, they were, like, pretty boring and, you know, lame, <laughs> um, where, you know, we grew up watching ski and snowboard films, and they would give you that feeling of, you know, like, pumped up and, like, I want to go out skiing now, you know, and we just couldn't find that, um you know, in fly fishing or hunting at the time. And that was kind of our inspiration to go out and capture our, our films from the beginning. But I think the big kind of turning point was um, we entered a like bear archery film contest 
Uh, uh-huh. When we first bought like our first like main nice camera, and uh, we ended up getting second place, and uh, just Bear Archery from there kind of kept in contact. We're like, you guys are doing you know awesome stuff, and really said some like inspiring you know some nice things that kind of uplifted our spirit. We're like, hey, like you know we might be able to actually like produce some quality stuff, and just seeing like our progression over you know a year period. Um, we felt like we were kind of headed in the right direction. And then in 2012, we won the Sim shootout. Um, and after that, we were kind of like, you know, like, I think we have possibly, you know, a, a career doing this type of thing. So I think those two main things were kind of like our starting point where we, we felt confident in what we were doing and just kind of took off from there. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, getting a little bit of confidence is huge in, in any business and, and realizing that, hey, you know, we don't just think we're good. Other people think we're good. And it's pretty nice to see the fruits of your labor, you know, pay off and, and people really enjoy what you're doing. Um, what would you say your strengths are individually and maybe what are your weaknesses individually? E- each one of you and then maybe as a company. Uh, <laughs> I know it's a hard question. Zach probably can answer this one better than me. Uh, I mean, Zach's really good as far as like planning and, uh, uh, bringing ideas to like full form and like, uh, yeah. So his like brainstorming of projects is definitely really good. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't, our weaknesses I think a lot of the time is that we're just, we're a small crew. Uh, It's tough when it's like two of us, which it has been for a long time until now, uh, to try to do everything that we do and go out and, you know, film hunting when, you know, half my season spent behind the camera, half my season's hunting, and there's only one cameraman, only one hunter, and then half them to log all that footage. Um, So I think like the size uh, has been a, a positive and a negative. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think definitely a strength that would be that, you know, we're brothers, so we can give each other a lot of crap and still be okay at the end of the day. Uh, <laughs> take a lot of criticism and not be like, I hate you, like you said something negative to me. Whereas, you know, a lot of people, if you try to give them criticism, even though it's constructive, a lot of times they're kind of like, oh, they don't, they don't like me and they don't like what I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah, us, we can just like tell how it is and uh, know that we're going to be better off if we listen to each other. Yeah, I, I'm sure being brothers and having a tight bond, I'm sure there's times when you guys are pulling each other's hair out. Um, oh, yeah. But 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 it's you know it's evident that you guys are acting together and and you know uh, it's just I can't wait for people that haven't heard about you guys or haven't seen your stuff. I can't wait for them to see it. Um, which one of you would you say uh, does the most editing? Which one of you does say um, the 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 most uh, stuff online? I mean, is there does each one of you have certain roles, or do you both tackle each each task? Um, we definitely, if we both tackled every task, we'd be pretty inefficient. But <laughs> uh, we definitely have our own little realms within the business. But um, when it comes to filming the editing and then running social media, it's definitely like a 50, 50 split. I'd say 
in the past year, yeah, it doesn't really count the days. I think Travis has probably had to be behind the camera a little more than I have, and I've probably edited a little bit more of the films than Travis has, but it's, you know, if you look at it over the, the lifetime of what we've been doing, it's pretty much 50-50, and um, because we are brothers and we can just, you know, say it how it is, there's pretty much, you know, insight from both of us on most of the decisions we make just because it's pretty hard for us to ever get mad at each other for more than like an hour. <laughs> so you can be like, dude, what the F? Like you totally blew that. You suck. Like don't ever do that again. And he's like, screw that. Like I didn't do, you know, like, like, you know, and then 30 minutes later, it's like nothing ever happened. So, um, there's definitely quite a bit of communication because of that, you know, like we can be pretty honest about everything. So we do, we do work quite a bit, or if, if I'm editing something, Travis is instrumental in looking at it throughout the process and giving feedback, or, you know, if we have an important post on social media, hey, how does this look? Yeah, it looks good, or no, like, it's, it's really, <laughs> because we are brothers and get along as well as we do, it's, it's really split fairly even. That's cool. Um, let's talk a little fishing here, guys. Um, uh, being in Western Montana, what are some of the hatches that you look forward to most, or might I say, which hatch do you look forward to the most in your area? Uh, man, just the big bugs, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Salmon flies? Walla hatch is fun because it's the first dry fly, good dry fly fishing of the year, even though it's like, you know, it's kind of crazy when people – especially on the weekend, it's a boat parade around here, but, uh, the salmon fly hatch is awesome. I had a really good day last week and I think we'll be chasing it again here this following week. But those two are, are like the hatches that you could actually call and say, like, I'm looking forward to that. We do a lot of fishing in the summer and there's all kinds of hatches, but the fish ain't too picky in the back country or off the beaten path a little bit. So you know, really. What would you say in the backcountry, um, what would you say midsummer, you know, fishing conditions ideal, you know, what are some of your go-to patterns that you would, you know, always be fishing in the backcountry? Just like a, uh, probably like a size six to 10 stonefly. I mean, I tied a pretty basic stonefly the other day and fished it all weekend on like three or four X and, you know, you don't really have to worry about ever breaking a cutty off on that. And, yeah. You know, they're not usually super picky, dude. They're, they've lived a cold winter and spring and, you know, summers, they're opportunistic. So, um, unless you're fishing like a heavily pressured area, like a stonefly or an elk hair caddis is, that's really all you need. You yeah. know, if, if, like I said, if you're, if you're fishing where there's a lot of people coming through, you might have to get a little bit more technical, but yeah, caddis, caddis works really well. They really slurp that a lot in the summer. Yeah, caddis, down here in Colorado where I fish a lot in the Roaring Fork Valley, caddis is, is a sure king here on the Roaring Fork and the Eagle. And, you know, I, I got a little bit of an education last summer um, when we, we stayed here for a couple months here in the Roaring Fork Valley, and then we headed up to Jackson Hole. And a lot of the fishing around Jackson Hole, Wyoming, on the Snake River and, and South Fork of the Snake, uh, there's a ton of cutthroat. And w one of the things that I learned uh, there was 
you know, rainbows and browns will move laterally three, four, five feet, you know, for a fly, sometimes maybe even more. Um, but one of the things I want to get you guys is take, uh, I noticed that cutthroat trout move more up and down. They're not, uh, they don't move laterally as much for your dry fly. They're more of a, you know, uh, a cutty could be, you know, 10 feet deep and come all the way up for your dry, whereas a rainbow and brown will be sitting, you know, so, uh, you know, 15, 16 inches under the surface watching and then come up. Um, do you guys notice the difference between, you know, cutties and, and rainbows and browns? Ah, I mean, I don't know. Usually I can't see that from the most part because we're usually wade fish, fishing and not like above them in a boat or anything. Um, I mean, yeah, I think that like when you do fish a dry fly to a cutty, it needs to be like right over their head for them to eat it a long time, yeah. but I don't know. And, it's like a huge difference. And that exact thing, Travis, um, what I notice is, you know, like if, if you're fishing and a brown will like see your fly and move over for it, whereas a cutty, if I was sight fishing to them, you had, just like you said, you pretty much had to bring the fly within, you know, say four or five inches of either side, you know, and ha he, he has a much smaller lane laterally. And maybe it's just something that I noticed, um, you know, it, it may not be in all areas. Yeah, I think it's probably pretty pretty close to being accurate for sure. I, right on. A lot of cutty fishing, like this is past weekend we did some and, you know, they definitely, you just hit their lane and they'll munch it. But, yeah, they don't move left and right for the most part a lot. Fortunately, you can line them and fish. <laughs> you don't have to fish inside, like, out on a riffle or anything, you know, or other other trout, you know, especially closer to town. If you line them, they're done. Where you can, like, yeah. there's a, a cutty on the inside edge you might pick off, and then there's one in the middle of the riffle, and while your line's floating through, you know, there's cutties eating right where your line came through they're not as, as spooky i guess in the back country for sure um yeah i, I would agree with that right i think you're pretty accurate on that statement when when i say the word mousing what what do you guys think of because i i saw on your site uh you guys do some mousing tell me about it um i mousing i think it's just like wanting to fool trout in another way and just seeing how trout will react to different patterns We're we are far, far, far from the guys who can tell you what, what is hatching, what size, what a bug is, you know, um, we know that fish aren't the smartest in the world. And if you give them something that they haven't been seeing, they might just attack it. <laughs> crazy days where most people I don't think would even ever comprehend throwing a mouse on. We're just like, yeah, throw a mouse on and see what happens and um <laughs> had some wild days that's for sure yeah i think we're, we're big streamer junkies so i think a lot of the time you know you'll see how aggressive trout are in an area and uh you know you'll throw it and strip once and have a you know a fish just attack your fly right under the surface and uh usually that's a pretty good in indication that those fish are aggressive enough to like you know eat a mouse off the top of the water if it, if it looks um, alive enough. So if you're fishing and, and you're getting good active strikes on your streamers and you're getting good chases and follows, 
just to just to mix it up, you may just throw a mouse on and see if you'll get some to come up and, and tag it on the surface. Yeah, I mean, uh, like when we were down fishing for our our film Buck Nasty Browns, um, well, we pretty much always bring mice everywhere because we like to just try them and uh, <laughs> see what areas, you know, actually, you know, the fish will eat the mouse. And we were down there, we noticed that the brown trout on a specific day were hitting our streamers extremely close to the top of the water. And, you know, we'd see mice scurrying along the banks. And uh, we kind of just had like perfect conditions where we're like, all right, we got to try a mouse. And I think it was like second hole we tried the we just had brown trout trying to attack it and uh, definitely opened our eyes because uh, the place we were fishing, we had never heard of, you know, people fishing mice for brown trout during the day. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Most of the mouse fishing I've heard of is, you know, either at night or right at first light or last light um, in low light conditions. And in that Buck Nasty Brown's video, it seemed like, you know, it was midday, you know, high sun, um, certainly not conditions that you would think would be conducive to fishing uh, a mouse pattern, but that was pretty awesome. The video's incredible, by the way. Thanks. Yeah, and one of the first times that we got into good mousing during the day was in the back country. We caught so many fish on dries, we were... <laughs> I wouldn't say bored of it, but it had lost some of its appeal, and we threw a mouse on it. Oh, man, dude, the cutties just went nuts for that mouse and on this specific river. And, I mean, if you if you if once you fish the mouse with some success, you start to understand where a mouse will fish better. You know, I mean, if there's a lot of heavy brush and weeds and downfall, I mean, there's a good chance that there's mice scurrying around. Um and swimming through the water, I mean, it's an even better sign if you wade through a little, like, side slough where, you know, the water is run during runoff and there's still a little sitting water and you see a mouse just swimming in front of you. <laughs> pretty good indication to maybe throw a mouse on and, and see how it does. But um, I think that kind of just opened our eyes to say that, hey, like, if a 14-inch fish is going to attack this huge mouse in the middle of nowhere, I mean, if you want to target bigger trout, why wouldn't they want that meal if, if you know how to kind of read the conditions? And I guess it's a little bit like streamer fishing. You really never know what the ideal conditions are. You might think you do, but some days you just have to try it. And, yep. and uh, if you're really into mouse fishing, you have to be okay with not catching a lot of fish. Yeah, be, but the, the one or two that you catch, you get some explosive hit, and it just makes your whole day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There might be days where you don't even touch a fish, you know, but you might start fishing that mouse again the next day if you have the determination and catch the fish of the year, you know. like You're, you're really super risk-reward a lot of days if you fish during the day. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm I'm somewhat of a streamer junkie myself. I want to talk to you a little bit about streamer fishing while we're on it. Um, uh, the other day I was fishing, uh, and it was a real cloudy day, and I had kind of a, a cream, uh, kind of a lighter colored streamer, and I was fishing it and doing really well on the spring creek here um, uh, where I'm at. And um, my friend that was fishing uh, wasn't doing as well, and the water was a little bit off color. And we had really good cloud cover, and then the next day I, I, I left the same streamer on, and it was bright sun, 
and we were he's an older gentleman but we have fun fishing together and he was i think caught five fish to my zero and he kept saying are you going to switch off that streamer and i said no i i'm just seeing the difference in cloud and sun and i wanted to talk to you guys um do you feel that the streamer bite is much better on a cloudy day um or do you feel that it matters at all yeah i mean i'd say it's better on a cloudy day I mean, we've definitely had light out, lights out streamer fishing on sunny days, too. Um, Is there a certain condition? It's been my experience that when the sun comes out, those browns are not near as predatorial, and they, you don't get those big chases and aggressive strikes. Is there a certain condition, you know, with the sun that you've, you've had great days? Um, you know, because my perspe- from my perspective, usually the sun – kind of knocks the streamer bite down. And so I'm just trying to see if you guys have seen something different. Uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any conditions that I was like, oh, that's why it was good today in the sun. I think okay. you can piss off fish any day of the year with a streamer. Um, what colors do you guys like the best? If you had to choose one color, is there a specific color that you always like to fish? probably be white if I had to pick one color. <laughs> yeah. And is, is it because you can, I like white because you can see the fly pretty much the whole time and then you get to see your strike. Is that why, or just do you have another reason? Yeah. That, I, that's part of it. White is really great because you do get to see how it, how deep it got, how it fished, how quick did it swing? How was, you know, like did a fish come after it? Did a fish, you know, it's more visual where if you're fishing something really dark, you might just really be focused on your strips and feeling where white, you know, you can be real visual with it, but white, it pretty much mimics the side of a trout, you know, it's flashy. You can add in little bits of red, like it's bleeding or, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's, we probably had the most success on white too for all species that we fished first, you know, with a streamer, but yeah, I think white and white and gray, can all of those are really great colors for sure yeah i would, yeah, I would agree do you, do you think um the fish and black streamers do you guys ever fish black or not as much i i hate fish black for whatever reason and i know it works all of <laughs> i don't have very much you know like all of our chartreuse like i don't have that much success on those and i know they work i don't know i think people just have like their styles when it comes to streamers and they usually stick with it and they have confidence in it. You know, you want to, you want to feel like you're going to catch fish when you throw a streamer on there. And there's definitely a mental aspect to fishing. Even if you don't see fish rising or you don't know where they're at, you know, if you feel like you're going to catch fish, your body's probably going to adapt to the conditions better and put your fly in the right spot. Yeah, I mean, half the half the fun for me of streamer fishing, two things. One is just prospecting and throwing it as close to the bank and throwing it in little holes and, you know, tangling it up and trying to get it in those pockets where, boom, as soon as it hits the water, you give it one strip and a fish is on it. That's, that's half the battle for me. And the other thing is I love seeing the strike. Um, you know, that, that to me is what makes streamer fishing. Um, if I can't see the fly, I'm not near – I'm not as into streamer fishing as if I'm hitting pockets, you know, brush lines and logs and, you know, overhanging limbs and rocks and, you know, fishing the structure. Is that what you guys like about it too? 
Yeah, it's definitely super cool when you you're in like a spot where you know you couldn't. I mean, you could probably fish a dry fly, but it might be the time of year where you either are nymphing or streamer fishing, and you can throw it in and bounce it off the log and like pull three strips out, and the fish just comes out from underneath there, and you can see them eat it. That's definitely pretty sweet. Now, are you guys the type uh, that, you know, you may fish a streamer right during a green dray catch or something? I mean, just because you like fishing streamers, I mean, are you guys that extreme about it? Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> I mean, we went and filmed Buck Nasty Browns. That, that little river is, you know, really known as a dry fly fishery. And um, I fished the streamer, like, right off the bat first day and caught one of the biggest fish of the whole trip that first afternoon fishing. I was like, dude, I don't see anything rising. Like, screw this. Throw on a streamer. <laughs> I know there's brown trout in here, and I know what brown trout do, and it was right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about – we've talked about Buck Nasty Browns. Talk about um, a couple of your favorites, uh, maybe from a filming standpoint or from just remembering a special day, a uh, couple of your uh, – fly fishing videos talk about a couple of them yeah uh i don't know they all have certain memories for sure um buck nasty is definitely up there because it's probably been our best fly fishing production uh and just like we did it in three days which was you know going to a totally new place we've never fished before and going there and just having kind of lights out fishing. It was definitely really awesome. And then on top of that, having like our best daytime mouse fishing, um, that was super memorable for me. Uh, obviously like the backcountry stuff is pretty epic because not too many people are willing to pack camera gear in there and, uh, they're pretty remote and super beautiful. And, uh, I'd say like, we did a film called Wild and Clear, and uh, uh -huh. that was totally just like an exploratory mission in the backcountry. Amazingly clear water. You could always see the fish. You know, the cutties rising like 15 feet to your dry fly and eating. And, uh, <laughs> that was definitely a, a memorable fly fishing trip for me. Awesome. Awesome. Um, guys, I want to transition a little bit on the hunting side. Um as much as you guys are into the fishing and the fly fishing, you also are into the hunting. Um, I noticed, you know, uh, bear hunting, wolf hunting, turkey hunting, elk hunting. Um, to, to you guys, what is the pinnacle for you of, of filming and hunting? Which animal is, is the top? Uh, archery elk is probably the top. And just so people know, like hunting is definitely our passion first and foremost. Fishing's easier to talk to. It's easier to connect with more people, but hunting is what we love to do. We had to pick one and be hunting. Um, I always say that fishing is just uh, fishing season is a thing to do to pass time until hunting season starts. And I say that I love fishing. I love it, love it, love it, like you guys do. But to me, I'm with you guys. There's there's nothing like hunting, and uh, so archery elk hunting is at the tops for you guys. I assume you uh, hunt in Montana. Are, are tags over the counter in Montana, or are, is it a draw? It's over the counter. I mean, there's some limited units, but there's so much good over the counter opportunity for a guy that wants to work a little bit. 
there's obviously a lot of places that are really crappy too that see a ton of hunters but if you're smart and are willing to get off the beaten path put a little bit of homework in um there's some pretty big bulls that you don't need to draw a tag for that you can hunt yeah i was enjoying watching your elk videos um there's some really nice bulls i had the fortune last uh September to um, go up on an elk hunt on this uh, and go with a guy on the uh, elk hunt on the CA ranch out of Bozeman. <laughs> um, just the bugling was insane, and he killed a really nice bull. He killed like a 370 bull, but um, that was my first taste of, of Montana uh, as far as elk hunting. And well, I, I, I know that. Come back if you're not going back to the CA because. <laughs> I, I, I know. That's about the pinnacle, I know. I, uh, but the country is so beautiful, and the sage flats, and um, the 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 terrain that uh, you guys depict in your films is is really cool country and and uh, adventure. Um, you guys are really into um, you know doing it right, in my opinion. You know, you you really tell the story with your videos. Um, Tell me how that started as far as doing the archery elk videos. Was that some of the first videos that you guys did? Yeah, I guess I don't remember exactly. It had to have been one of the first ones was the bull, my first bull that I killed. Um, just when I got into, I got into hunting a little bit more heavily than Travis did at the beginning. And after hunting one rifle season and I just knew that like archery elk hunting was the way to go without even ever uh, having experienced it. Like screw running around with a rifle. And, you know, I mean, there's, there are great opportunities for the rifle hunter. No doubt. There's some awesome hunts, but if you have the time and you can archery hunt, at least for elk, that was the way to go. And so I immediately like bought a bow off Craigslist and Travis was living in big fork. I was in Missoula for the summer. I was like, dude, you need to buy a bow. He's like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I might just go in next year. I was like, dude, I'm going to have a bow this fall. You're going to regret it. You're going to be all pissed off. Like, buy a bow. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, I talked him into it, and I don't think he regretted the decision. No, 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 um, but, That's awesome. Um, archery elk is definitely, I don't know, it's just always had an appeal from day one, and that's kind of where we started filming, and it's a difficult thing to film. Um and we've kind of stuck with it. It's one of the more exciting things, although some spot and stock mule deer hunting is pretty awesome too. We just, that's a little bit harder for us to get into and figure out since we don't come from a hunting background. It's everything we learn is really on our own or, you know, you, you get, you hear, see little things if you're online, you know, that might kind of let you know what areas are better, but we don't have grandpa saying, yeah, I've hunted here for 50 years, go up here, sit here, do this, or go over to Joe's place. Or, you know, it's for us, finding elk is easier. There's just a lot more backcountry and remote places where you know they're going to be, as opposed to deer where they don't, they don't bugle. They can be less visible and, you know, deer cover a little bit more diverse habitat than, than elk do, so... And are your deer hunts in Montana over the counter as well? And are the seasons when they're in the velvet or, or do they have late seasons also? So, uh, most of the units are, yeah, over the counter. All of the ones that we've hunted are. And, uh, we just had a teaser come out, the crags, which was a, I saw that, uh, sick of film we shot this past year. 
And yeah, that was all over the counter public land hunt um, in eastern Montana. So awesome. So you guys travel all over Montana to hunt. Uh, tell me about the wolf hunt. I saw a black wolf on there. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was our our dad doesn't hunt very much. Uh, we try to get him out there every you know like once a year if we can. Uh, he just doesn't have you know he likes to go hunting, but. It's, he's kind of at the age where he, you know, he's kind of getting into it late and doesn't see the the benefit of hiking 10 miles in a day like we do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we took him out elk hunting and uh, we had three days to hunt. And on the second day we had fresh snow and uh, we were just trying to get my dad a bull and uh, we were tracking these four or five bulls in the snow. Uh, had crossed a couple fresh grizzly tracks. And, uh, we finally caught up to the bulls in this kind of thick timber and I had a wolf tag in my pocket and there was a wolf pack hunting those same bulls, kind of, I think doing the same thing we were. And I happened to see a, a black, you know, something moving through the trees and I could tell it had a long tail because instantly I thought it was like a bear, but then I kind of made the connection that it had like a three foot tail. And, uh, so I just set up. And I had, you know, about like a 15, 15 yard gap in the trees that it was headed. And, uh, it cleared those trees at about a hundred yards and it was just at a slow trot and shot it. And at the time I didn't really like, it hit me all at once, you know, that did I really just shoot a wolf? And, uh, <laughs> it was, it was super cool. That's awesome. Yeah. It looked like a, a real pretty coat on that, uh, animal um guys i want to talk a little bit specific uh here uh i see you guys are nikon shooters yep um do you mind talking a little bit about the equipment that you use um maybe the models of cameras and stuff that you use yeah um i mean we just use some of nikon's professional dslrs d800 the d600 i guess is more uh you know achievable for like a consumer um uh -huh. But the camera technology is changing every day. Like, it's insane. Um, then we obviously use some of Nikon's, high, you know, higher-end glass, uh, mostly zooms for the most part, because we are filming hunting. We do film a little bit with some prime lenses, but zooms give you more flexibility, and um, you definitely uh, want to be shooting with. They're high-end zooms that have, like, a fixed aperture, like a 2.8. Just, you know, if you're going to zoom in on a shot, you don't need the exposure changing on a DSLR. And, um, you know, we shoot everything all manual, which definitely makes it harder. It's not something that you're going to pick up and be a pro at in a year uh, or even two years. But I was going to ask you that. How did you guys learn photography? Did you take classes or was it just total trial and error and like, oh, that doesn't look good. Oh, okay, that's better. It's mostly trial and error. I mean, I took a photography class in college for a semester and I took um, a half a year of architecture, which was, you know, highly scrutinizes a lot of visual elements and how things look um, as well as how they're built. But for the most part, like 95% of what we know and have achieved is just self-taught trial and error, like go out and screw stuff up. I mean, you're going to, you're going to learn from your mistakes. Like <laughs> try to like be happy about making mistakes because you just got to learn something, you know? 
So yeah, absolutely. And and so is it safe to say, um, maybe as an encouragement to other people that are you know shooting content, is it safe to say that I mean you guys aren't using multi gazillion dollar equipment that that you're just you're you. You know, you're shooting good stuff with good quality equipment, but not necessarily the highest end of highest end and not necessarily the newest of news. Is that safe to say, or, or are you spending a ton of money on your equipment? I mean, our equipment's not necessarily cheap, but it's far from being the best out there, or like far less expensive than what's out there. And I think, I think a lot of people get the mindset that the better camera you have, the better your image is going to look. And overall, you know, you're going to be a better filmmaker uh, when it's not the case necessarily. Like you could go out with a fairly low end DSLR and just buy some nice lenses and achieve some really amazing images. Um, so I'm, so so it's similar to you know you don't necessarily have to have the highest price fly rod to be a good fisherman. You can fish a rod that you've fished for ten years and still do very well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like yeah, if people think buying a nice camera is going to improve their skill set in any way, shape, or form, like they're vastly mistaken. Your the the actual image quality may be better if you know how to use the camera right, but being able to have vision, know what you want to shoot. And especially like being able to tell a story, like that's been the biggest learning curve for us is how do you tell a good story? You know, we didn't go to, we don't have degrees, you know, in film or, you know, storytelling and, you know, how do you piece this together? How, like, what do the viewers connect with? What is the motivation for making this film? Um, And like another reason I think we've been successful is we've tried to make films that haven't been done or have aspects elements to them that aren't seen often and we always try to do what we think is cool so far other people have thought it's cool as well um but you know we're like man this would be awesome go out execute it and people have been stoked on it but you know if someone wants to pick up a camera and and start making films and and do something with it outside of just recreationally like there's going to need to be some thought put into it heavily, um, why it's valuable. And then with camera technology, it's like, what's the look you're going for? Like a lot of cameras have different benefits to them. That's why we don't usually give people, you know, like exact advice on what we use because I know a lot of people just want to go copy what they see someone else is using. And it's like, well, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to film? Like, what's your vision? Because you should be doing the research on the cameras out there and and seeing footage from all of them, like what closely resembles what you're looking for. You know, like we shoot a lot of photos and video, but if all I shot was video, would I be filming on a DSLR? Sure. Maybe not, like probably not, you know, but we like to shoot a lot of photos and video. Sure. Um, so you I need something that will work for both. Yeah, I don't like carrying, you know, like we just went and hiked in and, did some scouting and packed in and you know like guys are bitching about one pound in their packs or like this packs one pound lighter than this one and it's like i have a 12 pound rifle i've got a professional you know dslr with two professional lenses like that's at least another five six pounds you know that's like 18 pounds right 18 pounds right there between my gun and my camera you know and then when we're out doing films you know in the back country where you got a big tripod batteries like all this other supporting gear, like 
you know, people need to have some motivation, I think, before they want to go do it that route, where if all I was doing was, was video, I'd probably have a camcorder and cut my weight in half. Sure, like, sure. You look at Tim Burnett on Solo Hunters, he has just a little, you know, like Panasonic or just little cameras and GoPros and saves a ton of weight. Um, but then like you're limited, like what's your vision? What are you trying to capture? Like that works perfect for him, but it might not work for what, you know, we want to do. So. Absolutely. Um, guys, I noticed you've got, uh, an apparel line. You've got hats and shirts and all kinds of stuff. Some really cool hats. Um, actually looking at, uh, at the gallery online here, you've got stickers, uh, you've got face masks, hoodies, um, that 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 business has taken off for you guys, hasn't it? Yeah, it's it's done really well, and uh, we we've had people like for a long time, you know, they're like, hey, you guys need to make apparel or come out with some hats and shirts, and it was just a long planning process to finally like come out with apparel and hats. We've had it in the works, but we kind of wanted to like do it right and find yep. hats and shirts that we actually you know liked and would wear personally ourselves. So. Um, when we did come out with it this past May and drop our apparel, uh, yeah, it's, it's done really well for us. So that's awesome. Um, guys, I really appreciate you being on with uh, me today. I want to give you a chance to, uh, tell people where they can find you, uh, give your, uh, website address, your Instagram address, Facebook, uh, uh, Vimeo, YouTube, whatever, please uh, tell us where we can find you. Uh, I always just tell people if you want to find our content, just go Google Montana Wild and you'll get you'll get your share of anything you want to see. But um, yeah, I mean on so MontanaWild.com. Uh, it's actually Montana Dash Wild. Somebody's okay. sitting on the other domain, and we we're like, screw that. I'm not going to go spend <laughs> dollars to buy it off someone. So. They're holding the, holding the name as a as a bounty, huh? Pay me $5,000 and the name can be yours. That's <laughs> yeah. kind of cheesy. But if you go on Facebook, just Montana Wild. Instagram, our handle's just Montana Wild. Um, Twitter's just Montana Wild. It's pretty easy. Montana Wild really is all you need to know to find our content. And um, we'll, we should have some pretty cool films coming out here this fall. I know the 25th we have a uh, elk hunting film. So we partnered up with Mystery Ranch Backpacks, and it, it follows me real quick. Some cool elk hunting video as I shoot my elk. And then we go into detail showing how to break a bull down and then, like, how do you properly pack it in your pack. Um, when we first got into archery, you know, you see the magazine articles. You see the dude that's got his huge elk strapped on his pack, and no one really is saying, like, what's the best way to do this? How do you do this? Why? Um, and so we broke that process down. I think it'll be really a cool film that I haven't really seen done in that, that capacity and hopefully educational to people. So that, awesome. that's going to be next. So people can, can look for that for sure. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for being with me this morning and I wish you the best of success with all your fishing this summer and your, your hunting this fall and, um, keep up the good work and, uh, uh, one of these days I'll run into you, and I just appreciate you being on. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jay. Yeah, thanks, Jay. And one last thing, make sure you buy a wolf tag, folks. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. 
All right, guys. Well, thanks. And, um, yeah, to my listeners out there, you guys really owe yourself uh, to go on and check out Montana Wild and uh, check out all the videos and all the things these guys are doing. Uh, I've got some awesome apparel. Um, they've got a really cool gallery with all the different uh, shirts. That Buck Nasty t-shirt's pretty pretty cool. I really like that. And and um, a lot of these others, there's a uh, Wild America tee. It's uh, got an American flag on it. That's pretty darn cool. You guys keep up the good work. Uh, keep the passion going. And I uh, can't wait to see the next uh, production. Thanks, Jay. Have a good day, man. Yeah, take care, Jay. Uh, Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.